Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Metaxas. Please be seated. Wow, what a blessing. Bob, thank you. Thank you so much. A lot of what Bob just said uh, is true. But, but I cringe, of course, when everybody introduces me. It's not your fault. It's just uh, everybody says New York Times, number one New York Times bestselling it. And I'm thinking, I, you know how much I hate. We all hate the New York Times. You might as well say number one Pravda bestselling. But you get, you get the point. Uh, back when the New York Times was a journalistic uh, institution. Um, I am so honored to be here that I'm practically speechless, not literally, but practically speechless. I'm so honored uh, to be here. There's so many extraordinary people here, but Dr. Dobson, it's very difficult to talk with you in the room. So if you don't mind leaving, I'd be much more comfortable. <laughs> I, feel, I feel very intimidated. Uh, but in all seriousness, when you respect somebody so much, I just, I love you so much. I agree with you on everything including hating that awful song. That, I think Lady Smith Black Mombazo, whatever her name is, Lady Antebellum, you need to get another song. Because that just, yeah, I don't know. Because it's so funny, up until then I was like, and then it just quenched the spirit. You could just feel the Holy Spirit fled because I believe the Holy Spirit hates that song too. But love, loves you, but hates the song. That's right, hate the song, love the singer. Um, but uh, I just want to say, Dr. Dobson, I didn't know you had great musical taste, but now I'm even more intimidated, I just want to say. There's so much I want to talk about. The real reason I'm here is to talk about uh, the subject of my book, Letter to the American Church. Now, Letter to the American Church, um, first of all, who would be arrogant enough to write a book called Letter to the American Church? Um, I'll be honest with you, uh, I'm, not, I'm not that arrogant. Uh, I know the Lord called me to say something to the church. And originally I was going to call the book, you know, how do I put this? I, I, uh, I believe I'm led by the spirit in what I do. I don't ever want to not be led by the spirit in anything I do, but I have never in my life, this was my 14th book, never felt the Lord speaking to me that I must write this. Uh, the Bonhoeffer book that I wrote, which is my longest book, this is my shortest book, I have no doubt that the Lord called me to write that book. And, and I don't say that lightly. In other words, I, I say that I'm astonished in a sense. When you see God's hand rather clearly, it's an astonishing thing. Um, but I, I knew while I was writing the Bonhoeffer book and, and increasingly in the years after that, God ordained that I, that I would write that book. And so it really has nothing to do with me. It's the story of Bonhoeffer. But I could see why the Lord had me write that book. But this book, Letter to the American Church, honestly, I have never felt this kind of compulsion that God is telling me to do something. Now, um, I know, you know, if, you, if, you're not, if you're not a spirit-filled Christian, you're probably dismissing that right now. And, I'd, and would you raise your hand? How many of you? How many of you don't go there theologically? Okay, you're wrong, but I, I will, I'll let you... Uh... No, I... I, when, I'm when I'm talking about things that are mystical or mysterious or miraculous, I, I, never, I never do it lightly. So I wouldn't say that, you know, oh, I had this impression. I really felt that the Lord wanted me to say a few things. And I wanted to call the book, Faith Without Works is Dead. Because to me, 
the particular sin of the evangelical church, right? Because we're all, we see through a glass darkly uh, and every, every culture, uh, every, every denomination, whatever, we, we get some stuff really well and other stuff not so much. And I feel that the American church has drifted over the decades uh, into not understanding that if I don't live out my faith, maybe I have no faith. That the Lord says in the word, faith without works is dead. And somehow we've tricked ourselves into believing the lie that uh, I just need to believe some ideas, some intellectual ideas in my head and I need to check some theological boxes and I'm saved by, by faith. And you say, well, yes, if it's real faith, but that enlightenment rationalistic version of faith is not the biblical view of faith. The biblical view of faith is that your faith will be lived out in works. If it's not, you don't really have faith. You're kidding yourself, but you're not fooling God. You're not fooling the devil. And, and, I, and I realized Bonhoeffer wrote about this in his book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship. He talks about cheap grace, right? That you, you know, you, you say grace, grace, or faith, faith. And he's like, yeah. And do you know what grace cost the Lord on the cross at Calvary? Do you understand the depth of what it is? It's not a light thing. It's the heaviest thing imaginable. If you understand it, you're going to live utterly differently. You cannot help but live differently if you actually believe. And it became clear to me over time that there were many Christians who somehow had this very shallow view of faith. So I was going to call it faith without works is dead because I just thought that's kind of the headline here. It's a scary thing. Um, but uh, obviously I thought letter to the American church is just clearer that this is just something I think that the Lord would want to say to his people in love. Um, but the principal idea behind it is that, oh, I forgot to say, uh, it's coming out, the book, Letter to the American Church, is coming out as a documentary film in January. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's animated. Mel Blanc is doing the voices, just kidding. Uh, I know, you're digesting, it's just, those jokes are challenging. I apologize, I can't help it. Um, it's uh, TPUSA, Charlie Kirk, and they, they've... Uh, helped make this possible, I mean, big time. So it's coming out as a film in January and uh, we're gonna uh, premiere it at Jack Hibbs's church. Um, uh, I'm not sure when, uh, if it, it'll be at the end of December or beginning of January, but in any event, the point of the book uh, is that the German church, some of you know the story of Bonhoeffer, but, but if somebody says, what is the story of Bonhoeffer? The story of Bonhoeffer essentially is that the German church in the 30s, as the evil of Nazism was rising, most of the German church did not stand against it. Most of the German church, including good churches, good pastors, didn't understand that it was their obligation to speak the truth and to stand against that evil. And what were the excuses that the German pastors and German Christian leaders gave? Exactly the same excuses being given by evangelical churches and Christian leaders today. We don't want to get political. We just want to preach the gospel. Here's the problem. That's not biblical. And if it's not biblical, do you know what it is? 
it's from the pit of hell. It's not gonna like, oh, not biblical, so B minus. No, from the pit of hell, zero. It is the enemy of what God wants you to do. Now, if you have all these happy religious reasons for adopting the devil's theology, you're deceived. And so the Lord sends his prophets. In the Old Testament, he sent prophets to speak to the people of God, to ask them to be the people of God, because they thought they already were. And obviously much of what Jesus was doing. I mean, imagine Jesus is talking to unbelievably religious people. He was not railing against pagans or against Hellenistic philosophies. He was railing, thundering against the most religiously sophisticated and religious people of his day. Because that is deeply offensive to God. You know, when pagans are being pagans and sinners are sinning, that's not really offensive to God in the way that it's offensive to God when you use his name and you quote him and you know the scriptures back and forth and you don't do what he asks you to do. That's really offensive to the Lord. So it struck me that the German church, now my mother uh, is from Germany, you know, she's 89, she grew up in Nazi Germany. So this is a real personal thing for me when I wrote the Bonhoeffer story because you know, it's very tempting for us as Americans or anybody to say that, well, what happened, uh, you know, in Nazi Germany, that's an outlier. That's just kind of like, you know, particularly German kind of evil. That'll never happen again, right? Well, I mean, if you think it's a unique thing, like Daniel Goldhagen wrote his book, Hitler's Willing Executioners, it's, that's effectively a racist view. In other words, if you think some ethnic group is more prone to evil, you know, because that, that, that's really not, that's not biblical, okay? Biblically, every single ethnic group, every single group has precisely the same amount of original sin. I mean, maybe the, the French have 5% more. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. And the, the Dutch probably also. Uh, oh, I hate the Dutch. Don't bring it up. Don't bring those, uh, no, 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 don't bring it up. Um, so you can't say that what happened in Germany is a unique thing so it can never happen again. So whenever people say like, never again, never again, why never again? What are you going to do so that that will never happen again? What happened in Germany happened to a sophisticated, rather Christian culture. And they had over time bought a few lies that enabled them to be fooled by the devil through the Nazis uh, into acquiescing with what the government said to do, right? They'd just be like, well, it's very simple. Romans 13. Well, Romans 13, I don't know about your Bible, but that's not the whole Bible. That's a chapter. And you can misinterpret it. But there are whole books. The book of Esther is about not doing what the government tells you to do. Anybody familiar with the book of Esther? Any Old Testament people here? It couldn't be clearer that... The, the idea that whatever the government says, we're supposed to be good witnesses, do what the government says, that, that's not biblical. You, you've got to have way more discernment than that. And the idea that you're not supposed to be political is also, I don't have time to get into it, but it is ridiculous. It's simply ridiculous because what does it mean? We're not supposed to make an idol of politics. Oh, well, what are you supposed to make an idol of? Like nothing, right? In other words, everything you do, every good thing you could make an idol of. So we can make an idol of loving our spouse. Don't, 
You know, don't love your spouse more than you love God. Don't love your kids too much. In fact, don't love them at all because, you know, that could be an idol. Common sense tells you that, you know, you're supposed to love your country. You're supposed to be involved in this. You're supposed to be involved in that. And Americans, more than anyone, we're not living in first century Rome. Patriots have died so that we could live out our faith in the ballot box politically. We can advocate like Michael Johnson. Is that his name? It's such a, it's like one of those kinds of names I'll never remember it because Michael and Johnson are both too bland for me ever to remember. Why can't he have a weird first name? (laughs) Uh, And listen, by the way, what a miracle. What a miracle from God. I, but it, it, the, the bottom line is that we have unwittingly over time bought into a number of ideas and things. And I thought it's dramatically similar. It's, it's horrifyingly similar to the German church. Uh, let, let's, let's put it this way. Uh, in 1933, Hitler took over in Germany. And again, to be clear, right, when we all say, well, if you read my Bonhoeffer book or if you're familiar with that time in history, you think like, well, I would have seen it coming. We all know the Nazis are evil. Well, that's not true. In 1933, most Germans, including most German Christians, could never begin to see where the Nazis would be taking them. The Nazis were not advertising, yes, we're going to follow Satan and we want to take you on a, on a, on a satanic ride into hell. They, they, they were smart politicians. They were not ad- advertising that. Hitler would use God. He would talk about God. He would talk about morality. He would, talk, he would say things. He was not stupid. He knew that he kind of needed the Christians. So he was very careful. Now, what's fascinating to me is that some people were on to him from the beginning, and they tried to warn the others. Bonhoeffer was one of them, and for reasons I really can't go into, Bonhoeffer was, was a prophetic voice. He saw where the Nazis would take things was in an evil direction. But if, if you think that you would have seen it, trust me, folks, we, we, most of us would not have seen it. Um, but Bonhoeffer saw it, and he tried to wake up the church. And he, the... the, 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 the um, some of you are familiar with the Barman Declaration, but the Confessing Church, there was a group of pastors in Germany uh, that, that got this enough that they wrote this thing called the Barman Declaration because basically what was happening was the German, uh, I'm sorry, the Nazis, being good totalitarians, wanted to take over the totality of society, including the church, right? And obviously, the reason we Christians understand that we need to be involved politically uh, is because we understand that if our voices are not in politics, if, if our values are not represented in, in politics, um, if we don't understand what real freedom is, then authoritarian government rises and rises and rises. And who is the enemy of authoritarian government? Authoritarian governments around the world, communists in particular, the number one enemy is people of faith. Because people of faith answer to a higher power. The state is not God. The state is not the top. They answer to a higher power. So this this tradition has existed, and we in America have no excuse because we have the separation of church and state. We have known from the beginning that the government has no right to tell us anything. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We are free. In fact, every American is free. You don't have to be a Christian. You're free. Religious liberty is guaranteed, and we have the ability to be free in terms of what we think, what we believe, how we worship, whether we worship, 
We don't coerce people uh, into going to this church or that church or not. We, we have this unique, extraordinary thing in America. And so they didn't have that in Germany. It's one of the reasons many of the German pastors were fooled because they had had this kind of happy collaboration between church and state. The Kaiser was Christian and all through Europe. You know this if you know European history that many of the churches in Europe, I guess was, was it Jack Hibbs this morning or was it, uh, no, it was, who quoted Tocqueville? I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think. Or, 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 it was Ben Carson last night. I haven't slept. Um, that's right. So when Tocqueville came here, you know, 50 years after the founding, he was astonished to see the churches, rather than being wedded to the government, being utterly separated from the government, and yet really being bulwarks of freedom, preaching freedom from, from the pulpit. It's kind of an amazing thing. I mean, what we have in America is, is an astonishing, uh, unique exceptional thing in history. Um, but the Germans didn't have that. And so you can see how many pastors thought, well, we should go along with the government. The Kaiser was always good to us. We, we've, you know, all through Europe, you know, you have the state and church allied in this uncomfortable way. We got that right in America. We understood that we needed genuinely to be free. But the Germans didn't get that. In any event, Bonhoeffer tried to wake up the German church and to let them know that where the Nazis mean to take us is evil. This is not just a different point of view. This is directly opposed to what scripture teaches, to what the church teaches. They're trying to take over the church. And if you allow the government to take over the church, uh, you have allowed the church to be destroyed because the Nazis hardly had, had biblical values. Uh, but no state can enforce biblical values. The state is supposed to let us be free and, and allow us, we the people, freely uh, to express our biblical values. But the Nazis were trying to do that. Bonhoeffer saw that. And so in 1933, Hitler's trying to do this. So by 1934, they write the Barman Declaration. And really, to cut to the chase, there were about 18,000 Lutheran pastors in Germany uh, at the time. By 1935, the pressure was so strong in the culture and from the Nazis, uh, which we've seen so much in the last three years, the alliance of wicked authoritarian government um, with culture. Uh, that pressure was so strong that by 1935, of those 18,000 pastors, only 3,000 were standing strong standing with the Barman Declaration against the takeover of the church in Germany. Only 3,000 were standing strong. There were about 3,000 on the other end of the spectrum of those 18,000 that were utterly pro-Hitler, uh, who obviously didn't understand the scriptures very much. You know, today I would say that that's like the super woke church. You know, I don't know, the Unitarians, pick a group, whatever you want. Episcopalians, I don't know. Uh, the point is that they were just... They're crazy. But the problem was not that group. The problem was, if you do the math, the 12,000 Lutheran pastors in the middle who refused to really choose, who wouldn't stand with the 3,000 heroes who said, we will not bow, we will not bow to Caesar, 
and knew that they're risking their lives, risking everything. They were heroic, but there were 12,000 German pastors, many of whom were good men, who simply got it wrong and who simply believed that they could avoid being political, who actually believed they had this kind of religious carve out. We don't need to take a position. We just want to preach the gospel. Well, what dead religious pseudo gospel do you think you will be preaching if you do not speak out when Jews are being sent in boxcars to death camps? Is that not a gospel related issue? Bonhoeffer said, unless you speak out for the Jews, you have no right to worship God in your churches. What are you doing? God calls you to call out evil. Now, of course, that's a very dramatic, clear case of evil. And especially in retrospect, we all know, oh, the Nazis were evil. But the point is, at the time, many good Christians in Germany could not see it. They made excuses. Well, you know, who's to say? It's complicated. But you hear the exact same thing. We've been hearing it in this country. The pendulum swings back and forth. You know, don't stick your neck out too much. Let some of those hotheads, you know, stick their necks out. Let, 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 let Charlie Kirk or, or Jim Dobson or whoever, let, let Eric Metax, you know, they're, they're kind of hotheads. They're political. We're just going to preach the gospel. Well, that's what happened in Germany. The 12,000 said, we're just going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to be on the fence. We're going to be neutral. But they didn't realize the devil owns that fence. They didn't know. They thought this was a safe Christian place to be. We're just going to preach the gospel. You know, we're not going to be mean and divisive and political. We're just going to, we're just going to have our nice church. We're just going to do church. Well, that's not Christian faith. That is churchianity. That's dead religion. And that is the enemy of Jesus of Nazareth. That's the enemy of Jesus. And it was the enemy of Jesus when Jesus was walking among us. Dead religion was... The enemy was a satanic thing disguised in nice religious trappings. And so we have many pastors, you know who many of them are. Some of them are really bold about this. And others are just, you know, they, they just say, well, I just want to be political. We just want to have church. We want to have a nice church. And, you know, I don't want to be divisive. But God's message through Bonhoeffer was to the German church, do you see what is happening? You must speak about this. Bonhoeffer said the church is the conscience of the state. And Abraham Kuyper, the famous Dutch theologian, uh, you know, many years earlier, famously said that there is not one square inch in all of creation over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign, does not say, mine. We are not to keep our faith in a religious box, in a theological, ecclesiastical box. We are to take our faith out into every sphere. And oftentimes, that means being political. Of course it does. And the idea that we have somehow, we have in the church drunk the Kool-Aid that we're not supposed to be political, that's not biblical, folks. It is not biblical. You're not supposed to make an idol of politics. Chuck Colson my hero would often say, you know, Jesus is not going to return on Air Force One, right? That's right. But that doesn't mean you don't understand that who is president is going to affect many, many lives, not just your lives and not just your family's lives, but the lives of strangers whom you're supposed to love in the name of Jesus by advocating for them, advocating for biblical values. So the Nazis took over. And the key, of course, was the Nazis said, we just need the church to keep sleeping because eventually it'll be game over. If they wake up, it's kind of like Gulliver being tied down by the Lilliputians, right? 
the Lilliputians, I mean, if Gulliver wakes up, they're trying to tie down Gulliver, Gulliver will crush them. But if they can just keep him sleeping a little longer, a little longer, and keep tying him down, keep tying him down, keep tying him down, eventually it's over. He can't get up. It's over. There's no doubt that Hitler understood that with the German church. He said, if the German church wakes up, we're in trouble. But if we can just keep them sleeping. He had contempt for the Lutheran pastors. He had contempt for the church. He would not reveal that. He would just talk a nice game, talk a nice game. Just pretend like, you know, that religious stuff is just separate. It's just separate. Now, Martin Niemöller, I write about this. The sequel to this book is called Religionless Christianity, God's Answer to Evil, which will be out in April. But in that book, I tell the story of Martin Niemöller. I mean, of course, it's, I tell the story in my Bonhoeffer book, but Martin Niemöller is the classic case because he was a genuinely good man, a genuinely wonderful pastor who got this wrong just long enough. And then one day he had a private meeting with Hitler and he was convinced, you know, it's the people around Hitler who are really against the church. It's, it's not Hitler. If I can only just get some time with him and, you know, I'm a World War I hero, a decorated hero, he'll, he'll, he'll listen to me. He gave me a firm promise months before he was elected, Hitler did, that he would not bother the churches, he would not institute programs against the Jews. He, he gave me his word and... Uh, I think it's probably the people around him that are really the secular, the troublemakers. So Niemöller gets a meeting with Hitler, finally, uh, in early 34. And in that meeting, now Hitler's been chancellor over a year, he meets a different person. Hitler effectively threatens him, uh, and, and they had his phone tapped, uh, and they read the transcript of his uh, conversation. Hermann Goering read the transcript of the conversation just to, to let him know, like, we've got your number. We heard what you said. You said, cracked some jokes we didn't like. You could be in a concentration camp yesterday, so you better play ball, pastor. And Niemöller was so taken aback to see the true face of evil, he thought, I'm going to reason with this guy. And so he says, well, you know, Mein Fuhrer, I, we, we, we love the Third Reich. We're, we're trying to, you know, we, we want to help you. We love Germany. You know, we, and Hitler says to him, and this is almost like it was scripted in a movie, I built the Third Reich. You just worry about your sermons. In other words, we are not interested in the church's opinion just shut up and preach your dead little sermons in your little church in that building. And when you come out, you bow to the secular authority of the state. In other words, that's the devil's idea of the Christian faith. We keep ourselves in a little theological box. We do our little rituals. This is, this is the official communist Chinese position of the church, right? Oh, we let you have church. You go into your little building, do your little weird little rituals. We have no problem with that. But when you come out... You bow to the secular authority of the atheistic state. Well, any church that can go along with that bargain is not the church of Jesus Christ. We are commanded by God to take our faith out of that building and into every single sphere, including the political. The values of God are meant to be brought to bear in every sphere, including and often especially the political sphere. And so when Niemöller realized that Hitler all along was saying, like, you just play your little religious game. Don't dare try to bring your Christian values, you know, into the, into the Third Reich. Look, we've seen this all through history, right? When Christians bring their values into the public sphere, you, you know what happens. Things like slavery get abolished. 
right? Murdering the unborn will get abolished if Christians have their way. If Christians have their way, you know, the poor will be blessed. Christian values bless people, bless cultures. But if you're an authoritarian government, you're not interested in Christian values. You're interested in power. And so the Nazis knew if we could just keep the church sleeping just long enough, long enough. And effectively, by the time Niemöller understood what was happening, it was already too late. That's how short the window was for action. Bonhoeffer was trying to get the church to see this. And they didn't see it. They didn't see it. They didn't see it. And then eventually he knew it's over. We've, we've dithered. We have bought this religious lie that our faith is just theological. It's just, we just believe these things. It's just about getting people saved. In the, in the book, Letter to the American Church, I have a chapter called The Idol of Evangelism. How many of us have bought this lie that the only thing that matters is getting people saved? That's not biblical. <laughs> We're supposed to make disciples. If you're not making disciples, we all know you can be a shallow convert in five minutes, you know, uh, you, you can lose what little faith you had. But we, you know, we have this very American idea. How many numbers did we get? How many people signed the comment cards? And, you know, we got, we got a lot of people saved, you know. Well, the Lord calls us to make disciples. And then he, he calls us to live our lives in utter obedience to him in every sphere. That's a little different than our kind of happy clappy, you know, we got people saved. It was really great. Yeah, it's great if you follow through. Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We're called to die to self. Now, if, if you know who the Lord is, you say, well, it's, it's a good trade. I die to self and his resurrection life comes to live in me. And then I can live truly for the first time. And I will live forever. And you are genuinely free when you die to self. But you have to die to self. So... Bonhoeffer tried to wake up the German church. Obviously, he failed. But I know that the American church similarly has been confronted with evils and has said the same thing. It said, we don't want to be political. We don't want to get involved in that. What Jack Hibbs said this morning, uh, and I think Charlie said last night. By the way, most of what they said, they got from me. They told me that. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I, I, I don't care who gets the credit. You know what I mean? That's like Reagan said that, right? I think he said it to Bob McEwen. Um, or Dr. Dobson, I don't care who gets the credit. But in all seriousness, the Holy Spirit is speaking. That's why we're saying the same things. And Dr. Carson said many of those things last night. God is, is speaking to his church and telling us that we are to live out our faith now. And this lie that we're just supposed to preach the gospel, no, no, no. We're to be the conscience of the nation. And God calls us to that. And if we preach the gospel and people get saved and start living out their faith that way, it changes culture. And there's so many examples from history. I mean, we, the revolution wouldn't have happened. We would have never come into being in the first place as a nation if not for tremendous evangelism under the preaching of George Whitfield. In my book, um, is a, uh, sorry, in my, in my book, If You Can Keep It, uh, I talk about the preaching of George Whitfield in the 18th century up and down the 13 colonies. And I, I, I joke around, I say that he, he was such an amazing evangelist, which is true, that he, he actually makes Billy Graham and the Apostle Paul look a little bit like lazy agnostics. Like just so you get the picture of, of the whirlwind, the crazy whirlwind that was George Whitfield. But he preached the gospel so effectively up and down the 13 colonies that the founders understood that these people really love God. Enough people got religion. There was enough revival up and down 13 colonies that 
that all of the founders understood that those kind of people could conceivably govern themselves. Because I, I write about the golden triangle of freedom, an idea I stole from our friend Oz Guinness, but the idea is that free people, or I'm sorry, freedom requires virtue. Self-government, to be, to, to, to be able to govern yourself and not to have a government governing you, to do it yourself, you need virtue. The founders all understood that. And they all understood that virtue, freedom requires virtue, but virtue requires faith. And whenever they saw faith burst out and revival burst out and people got crazy about Jesus and the Bible, domestic abuse went down, crime went down, alcoholism went down. The people seemed to have the ability to, to govern themselves in a way that had never happened in history, ever. Ever. And, and that, that is what makes America exceptional. It's not we Americans who make America exceptional. It's those ideas to, to which we have subscribed for nearly 250 years that are unique in history and beautiful and entrusted to us by God for his purposes in history. And we're living in a time now where, as we know, um, in many ways, uh, Dr. Dobson and others were talking about it this morning, we've seen just a tremendous decline. Could any of us dream of the madness we're seeing now? You almost couldn't. I mean, I think maybe David Wilkerson and Hal Lindsey were the only ones who wrote about, you know, because you'd read that stuff in the 70s and think, that's crazy. Here we are. But as evil has risen in America, and, and when I say evil, what are we talking about? Do I need to mention it? You, there's a hundred places you can look. There's no other word for it but evil. You can't just say, well, things are different. Or, I mean, when you have an open border and little children being sex trafficked, that is satanically evil. Now, if you say, oh, that's political, don't get political. Wow, that, you think that's political? That's the most moral issue imaginable. Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, better that a millstone would be hanged around your neck and you'd be cast into the heart of the sea. Jesus was not preaching the gospel when he said that. He didn't just preach the gospel. These are moral issues, and God calls his people to speak to those issues. So as evil has risen among us, we have had many, many churches say, we don't want to go there. We want to pretend it's 1985. Democratic Party is, is led by Tip O'Neill. Everything's going to be fine. Well, we're not there. And if you think you're there, you're, you're, you're lying. If your pastor thinks that we can, go, we can go back to the way it was before, that's not God's will. God's will is that we're awake to where we are now and that we respond to where we are now, that his church, which is meant to be led by the Holy Spirit, we're not led just by a book, right? Everything we do better be biblical, but we're supposed to be alive to the moment. What is God saying now? What he's saying now is different than what he was saying in 1985 or in 2005. We are seeing evil rise. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. The, the, the transgender stuff is mind-blowing. All of this stuff, we have seen satanic evil. Listen, Target, some of you know this, right? Target... Uh, had stuff designed that was not just, you know, rainbow, pride, and transgender stuff for kids, but it was openly satanic. I don't know if you saw the pictures. You think like, these are like fanatical Christians making that up. That's, that can't be true. It's true. What we saw, the LA Dodgers, what they did, I don't even want to talk about it. 
unbelievable evil. And many pagans, ladies and gentlemen, many pagans see that it's evil. This is an opportunity for evangelism if the church will stand up. Because many pagans who do not go to church, they look at this and they say, I don't have any category. What is this? I mean, Tucker Carlson was, was, was no evangelical. Believe me. Uh, I spoke to him a number of years ago. Delightful human being uh, and some kind of Christian. But he, in the last couple of years, said that this is, this is evil. And now he's talking about, well, we need to pray. All kinds of people who weren't maybe where we are are coming to where we are because they're seeing evil. And when you see evil, if you understand that it's evil, you understand there's only one answer to evil. It's God. There is no other answer. So the way I see it is that these evils have arisen, and it's, this is Romans 8.28, this is my hope, is that all things work together for good. All of these horrors that have arisen, and again, I, we, we could go down the line. Uh, we could talk about vaccines. We could talk about election fraud. But we don't need to get that controversial. Everywhere you look, you say things are not quite right. The, the journalists were always left, but they were never, something has happened. The medical establishment, I cannot trust the medical establishment. They were basically good guys. Something has happened. And it does feel like evil. And I think it's waking people up. And I think it's waking many in the church up. So let me tell you, I believe that all of these horrors are in fact waking up Christians in a way that they have never been awakened before. And the only question is, will enough of us wake up in time? The hour is very, very late. Very late. If you're thinking 10 years down the line, we definitely don't have 10 years. Either we react now, we are in a war. This is, I, I, the way I see it is, is this is our third existential crisis. The first was the revolution. The second was the civil war. This is our third existential crisis in which we could cease to exist as a nation. Unless the church arise, unless the church be the church. We know that the church did not arise in time in Germany. And as a result of that, satanic evil was unleashed in Europe and the world. Most of us still can't comprehend that, that the Nazis murdered, systematically murdered millions and millions of people. That doesn't seem comprehensible to us. But I think it's partially because we in the American church have ceased really to understand this thing called evil. We kind of think, well, that's bad. I disagree with that. That's harmful. We're talking about satanic evil. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that your marriage could be a little better so that you could be a little bit more successful. He died on the cross to defeat evil and death and hell. And I think we forget sometimes. And when you understand what he did, that his sacrifice was, was against evil, you, you have to first appreciate that there is that thing called evil. And we've been so mightily blessed in this nation that we have most of us forgotten. Just as the German church, they thought, that can't happen in Germany. We're such a Christian nation. Luther. You know, Luther is from here. We, we, we practically invented Christianity. I mean, this is the most Christian nation. Well, that's when they took their eye off the ball. They didn't realize that, yes, it could happen there. And yes, it could happen here. And it is happening now. But all of these evils are arising, I believe, to wake us up. Because the Lord knows that unless we would see what 
could happen, which we are seeing, the beginnings of it, we wouldn't wake up. We would just keep going along and think we'll be, we'll be fine. We just have to kind of manage things. So we're in the third existential crisis and I really believe it's the 11th hour. And then if we're not all in, um, I mean, imagine if somebody said to you, there's gonna be a battle tomorrow. And if you lose that battle, it's over. There's not gonna be another battle and another battle. This is it. This is the battle. And you've gotta use all your bullets tomorrow. You've, every dime you have, you should spend on ammunition and on the battle tomorrow. Don't keep any back for next week because this is it. The money you have will be taken from you next week if you lose the battle tomorrow. That's where we are now. And I'm here to say whatever money you have, whatever voice you have, whatever freedom you have, whatever connections you have, whatever talents you have, if you do not use them now for God's purposes, if we lose, they will all be taken from you. Your freedom will be taken from you. Your money will be taken from you. I would spend it now for God's purposes. I'm not gonna tell you how, but I'm just gonna tell you that you have it for now and it won't, you won't have it tomorrow. And I know it would be very easy to think that I'm speaking hyperbolically. I, I really wish I were. I really, really wish I were speaking hyperbolically, but <clears throat> it's, it's my very rare, very sober estimation that we are precisely where the German church was uh, in 1933 or 34. And most pastors and Christian leaders are saying, you know, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be okay, we'll, we'll be okay. We don't need to get radical. Well, I, I, I wish that were true. I don't, I don't think that's true. So the question is whether the church in America will repeat the nightmare of the church in Germany or whether we will heed the prophetic voice of Bonhoeffer now because I believe that the story of Bonhoeffer is for us today, is for the American church today, which is why I wrote the book, Letter to the American Church, because Bonhoeffer, speaking prophetically, uh, was obviously God's voice was not heeded by the German church. They, they missed it. But I really believe that it is for today. And, you know, I want to say to people, you know, are you, are you going to a church that doesn't get this? Are you going to a church that just wants to do church? I would say for the sake of your soul, get out of that church. And people say, well, it's complicated. It's not that complicated. Jesus cursed the fig tree. Jesus cursed the fig tree because it was not bearing fruit. We are living at a time right now where the Lord has appointed his church specifically now to stand against all of these evils that are arising. If the church does not, we have no idea what is coming. I mean, I think because, uh, you know, my mother grew up in Nazi Germany, which became East Germany under the Soviets. Uh, my father grew up in Greece, which was almost taken over by the communists after the war. They raised me to know the evil of communism. And we in America are so blessed that we don't think it could get that bad. We just don't know how bad it can get. We don't know that there is satanic evil in the world. We've got it pretty good here. Well, we need to understand, and I think the Lord's given us just a taste to see that in fact, there is real evil and that only his people 
empowered by his Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus with the authority of Jesus can stand against it. Nothing else can stand against it. So it's up to us. And I think, you know, if you'd asked George Washington in 1776, hey, George, how's it going? What would he have said? It was going very poorly, very, very poorly. In the natural, there's no way we should have been able to survive that first existential crisis. But I think George Washington would have said, you know, it's not going well, but if providence be for our cause of liberty, if providence be for us, if God be with us in this, we may prevail. So we fight on. It's like what Charlie said last night. We don't say like, well, it's not gonna work out, so what's the point of doing anything? Or it's gonna be fine, what's the point of doing anything? The Lord calls us to fight. And this is a Christian value most in the church have forgotten. We, th we forgot that fighting for the good, the true, the beautiful, for God's purposes is a godly value. The Lord doesn't call, call us to fight the way the world fights, but he calls us to fight. And Dr. Dobson, as you all know, has been fighting for decades. And many, many people were very content to stand back and let him fight. We just want to do church. We don't want to get political. That's why we are where we are now. That's exactly where we are, why we are exactly where we are now. I believe that it is the Lord's will that we not go down the path the German church went down. I, be I believe that. But here's the chilling thing. It is up to you. You are the church. You, the church get to choose. We, the church, get to decide. The Lord has made us in his image and he's given us this terrible liberty to choose. It's beautiful and terrible. The upside is that if we choose to live self-sacrificially, to give everything we have in this battle now, we get to be a part of the adventure that the Lord created us for. We were born for this, we were born again for this. And to miss it, to sit on the sidelines, to do nothing, that's the horror. To fight, to, to, to die fighting, to lose fighting, to win fighting, whatever, it doesn't really matter. You win when you obey God. And to be part of that adventure is, is absolutely what the Lord called us to. But most in the American church, I don't think there are many in this room, but most in the American church don't get it yet. Will they get it? Will you get it? Will you stop going to a church that doesn't get it? Will you understand that every dime that you give to a church like that, it's no different than the German Christians giving money or going to the churches that they went to that said, we're gonna look the other way for a few more minutes, we don't wanna get involved. That's what led to the death camps. Um, I wanted to end on a positive note. I failed. Thank you very much. Uh, God bless you.